Good morning. It's good to be back in Minnesota, I think. <laughs> we left and it was nice and we come back and it's cold. Um, it was a good time in Israel. For those who don't know, we just spent, uh, I and Pastor Zach and our online campus pastor spent uh, eight, nine days in Israel. And we, I was just there in October. We went back and we filmed uh, small group videos for next fall. So uh, you'll want to put that in your calendar next fall. More Than a Book is the name of the, the campaign next fall. And uh, we, of course, if you were here last Sunday, saw us preach. I, I preached from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, what many of you don't know, it was cold, windy, wet, and uh, not enjoyable. <laughs> While I'm sitting there preaching, um, it was spitting water all over, and it, it was an interesting, the first two days were that way, and it was beautiful after that, but there were so many things that God did, and, and uh, you're going to be blessed, I think, next fall in that. I want to say thank you to Molly, Pastor Molly, who's our small groups pastor. She set all of that up. Now, there's an event happening this weekend. Do you know what it is? Yeah. It's the Women's Conference. Yeah. That's right. Now, I know there are ladies that say, well, I'm not a conference kind of person, and I'd say, that's fine, but you are a B-Rock woman. You're part of Bethel's Rock, and you don't need to go to conferences, but at Bethel's Rock, you support the ministries that we're doing because we're reaching our community, right? And so I want to encourage every lady that's here today to make a point to not only sign up for the conference, but to bring someone with you. And you know what's great about it? It's one day. We're not asking you to be here for four days. We're just asking you to sign up and say, you know what? Because I'm, I'm going to promise you, you don't think the Lord is going to speak to you, but he's going to speak to you over this week or that day. He's going to do something incredible in your life. Last year, tons of ladies, one in particular, said, I went because you said I should go, and I wasn't expecting anything. And she said, I've been, I've been asking the Lord something, and I went uh, really, as she put it, I went out of obedience. She said, I went, and the Lord spoke to me what I've been wanting, something I, I've needed to hear from the Lord on, and has done a miracle in her life since that point. And, and she wasn't even going to go. She said, I went, but I was going to leave in the evening. But the Lord said, you better go back at night. And she went back, and the word was right on. And so, listen, I want to encourage you, sign up. I know it's a day you're just saying, God, here's my day. I'm going to give it to you. And I, I really believe God's going to do something. Now, I've been gone for a week. I was gone, and, and I'm back, and I wanted to really preach because my heart's really in the Holy Spirit. Yesterday at Equip Conference, which is an event uh, that our district, uh, the, I'm, we're part of the Assemblies of God. The district of Minnesota does a, uh, a conference-style thing, and I spoke at it on the Holy Spirit. And uh, it was really, it's really been in my heart as we were flying back from Israel, the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost is coming up, the feast of Pentecost in Israel is coming up, and Pentecost, such, I wanted to kind of really talk on the Holy Spirit, but the Lord really kind of shut that door to talk about something. I believe that there must be some in this room you, you need to really work with, and, and it's really an overcoming stress. And, uh, and so I, I kind of wanted to preach fire, and God says, just talk about stress. Just talk about stress. 
So I want to talk about overcoming stress, and, and I've talked about this before. I, it's a different message, but I've talked about it. It makes me wonder when, okay, well, if i got to talk about it again, is, is like people are not like, am I not preaching good enough to help people with this? Why am I bringing it up again? But uh, stress is, this is a very simple way to deal with stress. And you're saying, well, it must be hard to handle stress. Well, i got a very simple solution, and it's going to be a short message. If this is the only thing I were to bring up, it would be very short, but this will help, Okay. If you take stressed and turn it around, you get desserts. <laughs> How you deal with stress is eat lots of dessert. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray and we'll send you home. Okay? If you're stressed, go out and have some cookies or pie and you'll be fine. <laughs> How many wish it was that easy? Right? But the problem is you've already had too many desserts, and that's added extra stress. <laughs> right? I don't need any more of that kind of stress. The three stress areas of our life are money, work, and family. And you can add on to that health, identity, and purpose. And fulfilling that, and those are really uh, the three primary things that we're stressed about. And you, you say, Pastor, well, can you preach a message on how to get all of the stressful things out of our life. No, I can't because God isn't going to remove those things out of our life. Jesus never promised that we were going to have a life without pressure and the challenges around us. In fact, life is full of them. They've been that way for a long time. See, this is how we try to cope sometimes. We try to think that it's worse today than it was 100 years ago. It's not worse our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have had to deal with the same things we're dealing with today. They're just different. They're different challenges, different stress, but the same enemy, the same Satan, the same demonic forces that are working against you today worked against them a hundred years ago. They haven't changed. They haven't gotten less. They're still attempting. We're just battling different in different ways, different things. And as believers, we have to recognize that Jesus, when he walked in the planet, gave us words that the Bible gives us direction in how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because it's not going to go away. We need to learn how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Now, um, and and uh, can you go get me that? That yes, I forgot something uh, that I'm going to use. I'm going to show you an illustration of this because uh, the stress solution is when pressure when when you have stress, it's because the pressure you're facing is greater than the capacity you have to fulfill the pressure. So how many, you, you like uh, the submarine movies, you've seen all those, it, you like back in the 90s, early 2000s, they had all those submarine war movies, and, and it goes something like this. The captain goes, sailor, take us down to 200 meters. And everybody looks at each other like, what? We've never done that before. And the first mate says, but sir, are you sure? And he says, sailor, obey my command, take us to 200 meters, right? And, and then there's this silence, and the, and the first one goes, uh, you heard him, officer, take us down to 200 meters, right? Like there's this like concern, Can, do we have, does this ship have the capacity to handle the pressure that's going to be, and then it goes down, and how many know what happens, right? All of a sudden, it's quiet, and you hear, 
And people are like, is it going to crush us like a tin can, right? And then all of a sudden, what happens? Uh, a rivet goes, and the water sprays, and everybody's starting to get tense and anxious. And then the glass shatters on the, on the, uh, on the meters or on the pressure gauges. And they get down, and then they get down there, and you hear all the cracking and the, the water, and, and, and it holds it, and everybody's scared because the pressure, how, how, how much pressure is being put on us. And sometimes maybe in your life you feel that way, right? Thank you, Mitch. Can you give Mitch a hand? Right. Now, that's a chair. It, this, this, by the way, this illustration miserably failed in the first service. But I'm going to do it again. Hoping that the candidate that's going to help me today, who's headed up here right now, is going to do a better job at doing what I need him to do. <laughs> this chair's capacity is 125 pounds. I've selected you because I believe you're not more than that. <laughs> you weigh less than that, no doubt. Okay, go ahead. Sit on it with all your weight. See, now this, this is, why is it when you buy something that's supposed to break, it doesn't? I think they lied to you. I think they lied, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. You, get, you did good, I think. Thank you. Here, here is the reality. That was supposed to, like, crush. <laughs> you saw a crush. I know you did. Here, here's the reality. When you have that much weight in your life and you only have so much capacity, you have to stop and say, okay, what, what do I need to do with my life? You've got to stop and say, the, the reason I have so much stress in my life is the way I'm living my life. And sometimes we think, well, well, I need to change all this pressure in my life, even though the Lord maybe have led you into something, knowing you didn't have the capability to do it. How do you do that? When the Lord has told you or led you into an area to do something that required capacity you don't currently have, how do you reconcile what you know you heard from the Lord and yet what you know you can't do in your own self? This is what most Christians do. They disobey. Rather than be obedient to what God wanted to do because God wanted to teach him something in it. So there's some things that we do that God never orders and we collapse under the pressure because we didn't have the kid, and there, but we really wanted to do it. Or God tells us to do something, but we don't let go of things we need to let go of in order to do what God's asking us to do. We're all in a different place today. I want to give you two really directions in this, um, two stories in this. Moses, he's leading a new nation, new laws, new constitution, new, loosely held culture influenced by Egypt, a slavery mentality, and some leaders, but no structure. This, I think, when we were standing in the wilderness last week, um, 
we're, we're standing in, the, actually last Sunday, Saturday, one of those days, we're standing in what would be the wilderness uh, of the Negev Desert, and uh, they're coming out, but most of us don't ever stop to consider that when they came out of Egypt and crossed over, they didn't cross over into these mature followers of God. They still had a slavery mentality from Egypt. They had no structure. They had no constitution. They didn't even have a culture. They went into Egypt as a family. They came out as a nation with nothing intact and then tried to go into the promise of God. They were not prepared for the promises of God. They had no capacity to even do what God was asking them at that point. They needed to walk through the wilderness. They had to walk through that. And, and so, the, the, you know, just as they came out, Moses' father-in-law comes to Moses because he's doing everything, right? And how many have a father-in-law, right? So, like, when your father-in-law tells you something, you don't usually go, that's a great idea. I really should take your advice. You usually think, I already knew that. And you're, you print it in like you're not listening, and then you do it, right? You're like, I'm not going to act like I agree with him. He's my father-in-law, yeah. <laughs> right? But this is what he said, because it's an argument between a million and, th- and four million uh, people, how many came out of Egypt. This is what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said. Moses, father-in-law, said to him, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good, right? Now, when you hear your father-in-law say that, you're probably like, oh, great, <laughs> right? You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you, and you're not able to do it alone. It goes on, Exodus 20, verse 23, if you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. He says, if you listen to the advice of what Jethro was saying and spread it out, then you're going to have more peace. If you follow, like there's a capacity that you have, you need to respect the fact of that capacity and then honor what God's asking you to do. God does promise peace. He doesn't promise the problems will be gone. He says that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and possess peace. The second thing I want to look at is Jesus. Look at this, his response to this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. It says, come to me, Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how do you do this? You ask. Now, you know, we're in Farmington, so some of you may know this more than others, like in Richfield, what a yoke is. A yoke is something that is a piece of wood. It has an arch carved on one side and an arch on another. If you have one ox and ox, you don't need a yoke. But when you have, the only time you need a yoke is when there are two. So when this is what people often think. And uh, I'm gonna have James and Zach come up here for a moment. Quickly stand right right up here. So if if uh, if if Zach right over there, James. If Zach was my ox, <laughs> right. I don't need a yoke for one ox, okay? I need a yoke for two ox, okay? Look, look this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who's giving you rest? Jesus is giving you rest. Who's giving you the rest? Who's giving it to you? 
you're not giving yourself the rest. Your nap isn't giving yourself the rest. Who's giving you the rest? He's the source to your rest, right? And then he goes into this idea of yoke. What we think, and oftentimes in our mind when we hear this, we, we think I'm yoked to something, to this problem, and now I need to be yoked to Christ's problem. That's not what it's saying. That's not what you... That, that there's, there's no power source in the problem that you're facing or the challenge. What Jesus is saying is, you've been yoked to, to nothing, but take my yoke. You've been yoked to nothing, but take my yoke. Here's Zach. He's yoked to nothing. God says, but take my yoke. Well, in order to have a yoke, you need another ox, right? That's good. There is a yoke on both of them. Well, who's the other ox? Jesus. Now, if you know anything about this, one ox can pull a certain amount of weight. When you have two, it can pull multiple weight. But when you have a matched pair, that's two oxen perfectly fitted for one another. They can pull even beyond the multiple amount of strength, right? Now, for those who are married, when you have two ox, there's incredible power, right? When you're married, you're yoked with that person. You have incredible power that you should, be accompli- you should accomplish together, right? But it also means you have more poo, And you can't have the other ox without the poo. Are you hearing me? So you can complain about the poo. Well, then you'd have to get rid of the ox. And, and life is a whole lot better with the other ox. So you learn to deal with the poo. Somebody should say amen. Right? So, so what if he leaves his underwear sitting on your bedpost, ladies? At least they're on yours. Right? So what, guys, if she asks you the same question a hundred times, at least she's asking you. Right? Keep shoveling the poo so the two can stay together as one, right? What they do is they're together, the yoke is on them, and who's the one in the other side of the yoke? You can do all things through. God allows you to go to your capacity, but then you trust he takes you the rest of the way. In your weakness, he is. But you're trying to be the ox that pulls the whole load. And that's why Jesus says, hey, my, weird, my, my yoke is light. Because you only have to go to what you can do, but I'm going to carry the rest of the load. <laughs> Here's the problem. We want to go in a direction he isn't going. God will not pay for what you ordered. He pays for what he orders. Right? So you, you find that desire of the Lord and you walk with it. Okay, thanks guys for being the oxen today. God is not doing it for you, but he's doing it with you. He's doing it with you. If you got stress in your life, it's because you're trying to pull a load he never gave you to pull. 
Here's, here's the first lesson you can learn. Our capacity increases when we allow our bodies and mind to recover. It's like the person who tries chopping wood with a dull axe. They chop, 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 and they, and they say, hey, dude, why don't you stop and sharpen your axe? Well, I don't have time. <laughs> if you'd stop and sharpen your axe, you'd get done sooner, right? The, what is that? You need to stop and rest. You need to stop and rest. Depression is, a, is one of the leading things in America. In fact, more people are in depression than ever in the history of the United States. We see people who are dealing with depression that don't even know it's depression. They're just walking through, just, and they're depressed. They're dealing with the effects of that mental health on their mind. We need to talk less about chemical imbalance and more about the imbalance of the way we live. Johan Hari said that. He, he talked a lot about mental health. And mental health is an important thing for everybody in this room. We all have to recognize you either have mental health or illness. I always think it's funny when they call depression mental health. That sounds mental unhealthy. <laughs> like you're not healthy with depression. <laughs> you're not healthy with some of the things that you're feeling. Uh, the, the, the first thing when someone comes to me and they say, Pastor, I, I'm really struggling with depression. I'm struggling with a lot of identity. What would you recommend I do? And the first thing I tell them to do is this. You ready? You all listening? Get a flip phone. Get a flip phone. And you know what's funny is you think I'm kidding. <laughs> but I can't help you with your depression if you refuse to shut the door that created it in the first place. Because we can walk through freedom from depression and the power of God, but if you keep the door open and you keep letting all the stuff that caused it in the first place to start affecting you, what are we, we will never accomplish what we're, and you'll say, I tried God, but it didn't work. No, you left the door open. You don't, you don't leave the door open and windows open to your house and say, boy, it's cold in here. What should I do? Well, shut your windows and doors and turn on the heat. No, I'm just going to turn the heat on. It's still going to get cold. You may warm up your neighborhood, but you aren't going to get any warmer in your house. Are you following? Do you really want to be free? It's, it's a lot like this. It's like the guy addicted to marijuana. And, and how many times I've had people say, you know what? Marijuana is not bad for you. And yet everybody around you knows you're a different person when you're smoking it, right? You're the only one that didn't realize you have no more ambition left. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> literally, literally, the same thing, they'll say this, and then they'll say it every time. I'm not addicted to marijuana. I could quit any time I want. And I say, okay, then do it for a month. I just don't want to. <laughs> same thing is true with social media. The exact same thing. I'm not addicted to social media. Okay, shut it off your phone for a month. I don't want to. You're addicted. And it is creating something in your mental health. Your marriage is worse, not because your marriage is bad, but because your perception of it is bad because you've been in social media. It is out to destroy. Now, is everything in social media bad? No. And that's exactly what Satan wants for there to be just enough good so you have an argument of why you won't get rid of it. Smile. And if you're Gen Z, if you're Gen Z, you are in serious trouble because it is a lifeline. It is almost an identity 
for 70% of Gen Zers, they spend over four hours a day on social media. So depression, how do we deal with it? We rest. There's a Sabbath principle. You know, I'm a, I'm a person that believes in grace, in the power of grace, right? We're saved because we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we're saved. And what often goes with that is this statement, I am no longer under, let's say it, the law. What does that mean? Does it mean you're lawless? I mean, think about it. How many times have we said, I'm no longer under the law? What are we saying? That I'm now called by Christ, died on the cross for me to be without laws? Lawless. So I don't need to honor the Sabbath because that's the law. Do you really think God gave you the law of honoring the Sabbath because he was trying to keep you out of heaven? Here's what's happened. The laws in the Bible that God gave were for our health, and then man attached his laws to his, God's laws. Do you know there are 38 laws of man attached to the one law of God of the Sabbath? Like when we were in Israel, there is an elevator called the Sabbath elevator. You say, well, why is it a Sabbath elevator? How is it different than every? It stops at every floor so you don't need to push a button because you would be breaking the Sabbath. So we went on the non-Sabbath elevator on the Sabbath and went... Because <laughs> there's that rebellious side in you. But we had fun doing it. With this, what the, really the Sabbath was about was enjoying the blessings of what God... Do you, do you realize the law is God says, I command you to take a day and rest. And we get angry about that. He commands you not to kill people. I sure wish I could. I'm not under... The, the, the Sabbath was not a, a suggestion. God wasn't saying, I suggest you take a Sabbath. Do you know when Israel was put into Babylon for 70 years, it was because they did not honor their parents and they didn't remember the Sabbath. You know, I have a sneaking suspicion, although the devil really is behind what I, COVID, I think God really used it to say, you know what, you haven't been honoring my Sabbaths for years, so I'm going to make you take time off in Sabbath and rest. I'm going to take you out of something because you haven't, been, you haven't really taken seriously this time of rest to just take a breath. God wants you. Look at, look at what he says in Exodus 20, he says, you have six days in which you do your work, but the seventh is a day rest dedicated to me. In Hebrews, it says, there remains then, this is after Christ died on the cross, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their what? That means you have fun. You enjoy that day. You take time off. And some of you are like, I'm man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a strongly worded email to pastor and tell him how I disagree. About taking a day off? I mean, think about this. God rests also from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort. What does it say? He's not sitting getting legalistic about it. 
we say make every effort to enter that rest, to take that time and rest. So the first thing is we need to be obedient to God's word, his command, which says rest, take a deep breath. And by the way, that's not Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. Sabbath was the last day of the week. Sunday's the first day of every week. Why do, we do the Sab- Why do we do church and stuff on Sunday? Because we give God the first of everything in our life. He gets first, not leftovers. God doesn't care for your life. That'd be like inviting someone very famous to your home and then saying, you know, we had roast and potatoes last night. I made you leftovers. Right? So if this is the creator of the universe, I'm going to give him leftovers. He said, Cain. Cain, he's like, God, I gave you what you asked for. And Cain, he said, Cain. You know what you were supposed to do. All you need to do is give me your first, and it will go well with you as it did with Abel. And Abel, Cain rather spit at God and say, well, if you don't like what I'm going to give you, that's too bad. And that's what a lot of Christians have done. So if you don't like what I'm giving you, God, then it's too bad. Rather than give them, and everything else falls into place. Here's the second one. Our capacity increases when we know who we are. Know who you are. Otherwise, you will be open to interpretation. We're extremely self-esteem and narcissistic-minded people. It's all about me. You cannot fail or you'll be rejected. I can't be wrong or I'll be rejected. You can't make a mistake or I'll be rejected. You can't make a wrong decision or you'll fail and then you'll be rejected. It's like everything we do, we think about how it will impact us. Here, You must have a clear identity for your life before you ever go on social media. You must have a clear identity for your life before you ever... Somebody asked me recently, they said, Pastor, how old was it before you gave your kids their phone? Like, what age should I give a phone to my kids or let them on social media? media? And I, I laughed, and, and I had never thought about this before, and I, I do believe it was the Holy Spirit dropped this in my heart, because what I said is, it doesn't matter how old they are, it matters if they know who they are. Because I know people in their 50s that have no idea who they are, and they should never be on social media. You should never put yourself in a position to define who you are until you know who you are. Because so many people are searching in their identity to figure out who they are, and they'll let the enemy define who they are or people they've never met to define who they are, to define what their marriage looks like. You know, marriages have been destroyed. They were very happy in their marriage, and then they went on social media. Uh, Pastor Zach was telling me of a situation where they went on to a, a TikTok, and it wasn't long after she went on TikTok, all of a sudden her marriage wasn't enough, and they were divorced very shortly after that. Because the perception she was taking in was like, this: your marriage is horrible because it doesn't look like this. And it, hear me! This is not about preaching perfectly crafted sermons. This is like a warning in the air. We're not, it's not, it's not this social media thing. It's not this little bunny rabbit that's cute and you play with. It's a snake drawing you in so it can come up and, and before you even know it, you're like, how did I end up here? How did I get to this place? And I love and care about you. And I'm not trying to take away. That's not what I'm trying to warn you. That there's a snake, just like Lucifer, prowled through the Garden of Eden, a perfect place. And everything was great. And he sounded really good. 
He wasn't threatening. It's not threatening. You know, there's this thing called selective ignorance. <laughs> you know some of it is selective hearing. None of you practice that, but maybe your spouse does. <laughs> selective ignorance is literally saying, you know, there's some things I don't need to be aware of. It's being like the ostrich said, you know, on this thing, I'm putting my head in the sand. And you say, Pastor, you're telling us to check your brain. No, what I'm saying is there's some things don't need to be in your brain. You don't need to open the door to things in your head because you don't need those things bouncing around in your head. You should be ignorant to them. And you should ask the Holy Spirit that he give your children selective ignorance. Protect them from things that could be lifelong struggles if, they're, if they experience it. Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. It's like the cow that ruminates its food. They chew on it, and they chew on it. Somebody says something about you, and, and then you chew on it, and you swallow it, and you spit it up. You know what's interesting? The longer you ruminate, the grosser it gets. And what wasn't a big deal all of a sudden becomes this incredible vomit. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Know who you are, and it will remove stress. Like, I don't need to be anything. I don't need to be anything above what God wants me to be. I don't need your approval to make me feel fulfilled because the only approval that will satisfy me is the one he gives. That he gives me approval. And when I live on that, I don't put pressure on any of you to have to live up to something that I need in my life because he fulfills it in my life. I don't need my spouse to do that. I don't need my kids to do that. And there are voices yesterday when I was going to speak at the Equip conference. I'm, I'm getting ready to go up there and this voice kept tormenting saying they don't really care what you have to say you have nothing to tell them you need to you need to just shut your mouth you you really aren't gonna it was constantly in my ear before ever getting up there and you say well pastor you, you should we pray for you no friend understand this it doesn't matter how spiritual you are the enemy is going to come and talk to you. You're not non-spiritual because you hear a voice that's attacking. You have to understand what it is. Discern the voice and then command them to leave you. You know, when the enemy works that hard on you, telling you that stuff, I have come to learn it's going to be really good. Right? But he's telling you things, and you have to recognize, here's number three, our capacity increases when we know what we were created to do. We have to understand that I have a, a one, I have my work. We were all created. We have a responsibility to the world around us to work, so we, we should work. People are sitting there going, boy, I wish I would win the lottery. Why? Well, then I wouldn't have to work. Do you understand that that is, that is literally contrary to what God called you to do? You know, with my kids, uh, you know, I have a daughter that married into a very financially strong situation. And you know what my one concern was? Is that she wouldn't work. Because I don't want my kids to not work. 
I created them to be productive people in society, to leave a mark on this culture. I'm like, you have to promise me that they're going to have involvement in our society, that they're going to be a part. Because I didn't raise my daughters to sit at home and eat bonbons. Even know what those are. I don't know if we've ever even had bonbons. It's the first thing that came in my mind. Huh? You know what I mean? You should celebrate what you do as a job. Because this is my responsibility to the, to the world around me. The second thing is my ministry. It's like two legs. I have a job and I have a ministry. And if I'm going to move through this, I have to move. They work in tandem with each other. My job, my ministry, my job. There are a lot of people, believers, with job, and they're not moving anywhere because they don't have the leg. There's a lot of people that say, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to do ministry, and they're not moving anywhere because they're not in tandem with each other. There are both. There are a lot of pastors that think it's just ministry. Well, there's a job side to this. You work in tandem with each other. Second Peter says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we're doing that, when we're working together, and I think you, you have jobs, but you also have a calling. You have a calling to the army of God. There's ministry that God wants you to do, and your calling has a competitor. Calling has a competitor, and it's amazing in our job. We want to make more money. It's, we live in this American philosophy. If I have more, it's better. Like, if I have one dollar, but if I get two, it's better. Or I have one car. One car is good. Two cars is... One kid is good, but two kids are... All right? Some of you are like, whoa, no, no, whoa. <laughs> if, if one wife is good, two wives is... Wrong! <laughs> uh, here's number four. Our capacity increases when we're supported by others. When we have other people, it's why you need to be in a small group. Small groups are extremely important in our life. And we do small groups like sequoia trees. I, they're my favorite tree, the sequoia tree. They're huge. They're just incredible. But the root systems often don't go deeper than that of an oak tree. The root systems interlock with the rest of the trees in the forest. They're intertwined. They wrap and they're held into place. Their great mass is by the relationships they have. The larger the forest, the stronger the tree. See, you have to believe that your spiritual strength is really tied to the unity that you have to other trees of spiritual strength. The people in this room. You say, well, those aren't people I'd normally spend time with. Well, they should be. They should be. You say, they may, may, may not have been your type of people in high school, but they are now. God, put them in your life. You look around. Look around at people around you. God put them in your life for a reason. You're here for a reason. If you're visiting today, and this is... This is a place, this is a forest. I want you to imagine this is a forest and there are trees here. And the only way you really do that is in small groups where you get together in small groups and you tie together your root systems and you support one another. Ecclesiastes says, there are man alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no, one, uh, no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. From whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Why, why, two are better than one because they have good return in their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Johan Hari goes on and he says this, don't be you, don't be yourself, be us, be we, be part of a group. What group? Let me ask you this. What group are you currently a part of that helps you grow spiritually? What couples in your life right now are in your life? If you're married, what couple? If you're single, what other singles are you with currently that contribute to your spiritual growth? Because you grow more in circles than you do in rows. You need to be a part of a small group. Here's the fifth lesson we learn in dealing with stress. Our capacity increases when God is helping us. When God is the one in charge, when he's the one that we lean on, when God is the other person in the yoke right next to us, he, our capacity will increase. Psalms 4, 8 says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalms 29, 11 says, the Lord gives his strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Acts 10, 36 says, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we make God first, when we make Christ first, most of our stress comes from ignoring the, this principle of God, making him first. There's an illustration I've done, and I, I didn't have it today, but it's glass jar. And, and uh, there's a bunch of pebbles, and then there's boulders. And when you dump them in, and you put the pebbles first, and then you put the boulders on top, they don't fit. It, the order and how you do something is extremely important. The boulders wouldn't fit. But if you took all the pebbles out, and you put in the most important things in first, and then dump the pe pebbles in later, everything fit. Because seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else fits. It's how you order your life. If you put God first in that jar, everything else is going to fall into place and your capacity increases. Same true with tithe. Like when you tithe financially, when you give God your first, your tithe, your first fruit, what you weren't able to do before, you're now able to do because everything fits. And it's biblical. That's exactly what he says in the Bible. You put it first. So you can take the principle of the tithe and you can apply that to every other part of your life. When you put God first, everything else seems to fall into place. It is a principle of truth. So are you stressed? Maybe you're living outside of what God's asked you to do. Or maybe you've been trying to do it on your own and God is saying you need to yoke up. And that's a great illustration, isn't it? But often great illustrations struggle to transfer to something practical. And what I want to happen today is I want that illustration to be something you can practically experience in your life. Where literally you're driving in the car, you got all of this stuff going on, but God gives you a revelation that he's with you in the yoke, and you don't worry about it. You just start to worship the Lord because I don't have to worry about it. He's going to work it out. How many need some peace? Right? Raise your hand. You're saying, I'm needing some peace. You know, you have people close your eyes so they don't see me raise my hand. If you need some peace, raise your hand. Say, that's me. I need some peace right now. Okay. Father, just now, now raise the other one up. Okay. You raise your hand. Raise the other one up. 
Father, right now, you see these hands. Lord God, you've promised peace to everyone raising their hands right now. You promised it. You promised it. And Lord, we hold you to your word right now. Lord, I pray right now by your spirit, you would practically show us how to yoke with you. Right now, just show us. Just speak to every person in this room. Let these ears hear and these eyes see that their heart may perceive that you're literally putting a yoke right now as they're surrendering that to you, Lord. And that peace would be like this yoke, that we would feel peace right now, knowing we're not alone. We're not alone. We're not alone. We're not pulling this by ourselves, but you're with us and you're compensating for wherever we're at, that we are doing this together, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.